All right, welcome back to the Hang and Hunt podcast. We are joined by Mr. Eric Barber. Eric, you are taking our guest virginity here. This is a special moment. That's a, a quite the honor. Welcome. Absolutely, man. Honored to be, to be here, guys. I appreciate it. Well, we're stoked to have you, man. So uh, for anybody out there who doesn't know you, if they've been living under a rock for the last decade, uh, could you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, so uh, so I work at Vortex Optics. I'm the social media manager over there, and uh, we can get into a little bit about like what that all entails and everything. Um, I've been at, at Vortex for just about three years now. Um, prior to uh, Vortex, I spent a year working at the Wisconsin DNR, um, and then before that, I worked for uh, uh, Bill Winkie down at Midwest Whitetail. Um, kind of with all the hunting public guys before they uh, branched off and started their endeavor with THP. So kind of been around since uh, 2013. And uh, uh, man, I mean, I, I absolutely wouldn't trade, you know, what I'm able to do as a career for anything. How'd you get a gig with Vortex? I mean, there are a lot of companies you could have gone to work for, for media, I mean, uh, throughout the hunting industry, but, but Vortex, I mean, that's a that's a monster. Yeah, I mean, and it, it was a uh, vortex was honestly on my radar since probably I'm trying to think. I mean, even when I was at uh, Midwest Whitetail back in like 2015, 2016, my wife and I were are from Wisconsin and we were living in southern Iowa. I just kept kind of, you know, that like they were a company that I was very familiar with, uh, familiar with the product, familiar with some of the folks that worked there. And, you know, I just always had that on my radar and I applied for some jobs that really weren't a fit. And, uh, you know, eventually the right position opened up. Um, I had a ton of background in social media and whatnot. That's just kind of like what I've been doing since I've been out of college. And uh, a position opened up. I jumped at it and uh, got the job. And I think within the first 10 days of, of the gig, I went to Texas for a, uh, a multi-gun competition and um had a bunch like like it was a i think an 18 hour van ride ended up having to share a bed with uh now my my manager on i think like my second or third day so it was like trial by fire (laughs) no man it's a awesome place the culture is incredible the people are are top notch and you know i i couldn't ask for a better place to be yeah, for sure, dude. Your guys' new facility up there is out of this world. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to come up with Jordan and Taylor and the other Capture Boys, and um, you know we were hanging around, and, and you guys gave us the full tour. I mean, it is beyond cool. Yeah. Billy, we'll have to see if we can get you an invite in the next decade or so. For sure. Um, yeah. we'll see, <laughs> we'll see if you're, get your get you allowed to leave the state first and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, dude, it, that that place is phenomenal, it, man. It's it's cool, and, and I mean, man, I'm glad you brought that up, Taylor, because the the big thing now is we just released uh, Vortex Edge, um, which is our our indoor um, and outdoor uh, training and experiential, I, I guess, experiential training facility. So, you know, we've got an indoor hundred, indoor fifty, indoor twenty five yard ranges. Um, we have a Vertra simulator room. Um, really? you can play the, the craziest big, big buck hunter that you can ever imagine on that. Oh. <laughs> In addition to some of the, you know, most, 
you know, incredible tactical and de-escalation scenarios that you can imagine. Um, and then we've got a outdoor uh, facility on a 360 acre property where we can shoot out to 1,050 yards. So, you know, whether it's for the local law enforcement training at, the, at that facility or, you know, from, from our standpoint, from product development, getting out, testing stuff, putting gear through its paces. Um, I mean, we're, we're stoked that that's now, uh, you know, kind of out there and something that we can start talking about a little bit more. So, so when you're, when Vortex is testing new prototypes and things like that, are you involved with that? I mean, you're on the social media, but do you get, are you involved in any of the R&D also? Not not so much R and D. Um, being in social though, we do get you know we're always fielding questions from folks. So you know we'll we relay that feedback over to the product development team, and you know then when it does come a product that you know let's say we have something in the works that it, that is more up up my alley. You know I, we can get into my my background I guess a little bit. I mean I'm much more on the the hunt side of the business, and obviously Vortex serves you know many different customer types, whether it's military law enforcement, um, you know, the, the, the guys that are, are, you know, super tactical and, and, you know, putting hundreds of, and, and hundreds of rounds, you know, downrange, maybe not this year, but, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but shooting gold. Exactly. But then, you know, obviously we've got the hunting side of the business and just, you know, being that that's my background, that's kind of where I obviously have more insight. So when we do have something that kind of comes up there, um, that's kind of where I'll, I'll be able to get involved a little bit here and there. And that's always a ton of fun because, you know, it's, it's cool seeing these projects come to fruition. Yeah, I can imagine, man. I mean, so when I think of Vortex Social, I laugh because the, <laughs> the first thing, I mean, first of all, you guys do an amazing job with all your social. I wanted to see the pizza oven so badly. Yep. That was like one of the one of the first things I wanted. What has been your favorite skit or or like something that you've done at Vortex on social? What, what was your favorite or what are your like top oh, couple ones? Man, so recently it's been the uh, like the bread toss thing. For anyone who's watching the you know Vortex Instagram, we've been tossing bread at people, and it literally does sound like the craziest thing ever. But the amount of people that like, you know, send that to a buddy and say, look what these guys are doing. I mean, it gets eyeballs on, on stuff and uh, it, it really gets a conversation started with people, with, which at the end of the day, like that's what we're all about. You know, social media is all about chatting people up and making people have a good time. And I mean, everyone kind of wants that distraction. So that stuff's good. Another one that, that didn't get as much uh, love as it probably should have was a couple of years ago, you know, we just we had we had donuts in the office and uh tied up a donut to a uh, piece of fishing line and literally just casted it over the side of the balcony down to the guys that sit down in consumer sales i mean the, the, the antics that have gone on there and how folks you know react to it is is awesome i mean people just eat it up and it's cool to to you know see that resonate with people yeah, I think it like really resonates with people wanting to act out in their office place or maybe like having some sort of uh, something in common that they're doing with their coworkers. But it's a really cool way to kind of just put out there what you guys are doing. Plus, the food that you guys make in the pizza oven looks awesome. As Man, 
as a guy of 240 pounds of chewed bubble gum, I'm like salivating sometimes at the uh, like the nacho trays and stuff that are coming out of there. The nacho trays. Jimmy actually made spam sushi. Spushy. So whoa, so sushi. Spam sushi. <laughs> so you know, ironically, before the pandemic started. For whatever reason, Jimmy got a wild hair and just had a, you know, bought a ton of spam. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he, maybe he knew something that we didn't because all of a sudden that was a high, high dollar item here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he ended up, he made, he made sushi out of spam. And, uh, I mean, I, he, he would be the one that would know the in-depth intricacies on how he pulled that off. But honestly, of all the things that I've seen come out of that pizza oven in the past three years, that's by far like up at the top of the list. That's all. Awesome. I just think it's so cool that you know the the group of people who work for Vortex. You guys are all you know. It's it's like you're in it together. You're a big team and a big family, and you're you know, you're doing these things. These antics. They're not just you know gimmicks, and you know you're just trying to get a reaction on social media. This is literally what you guys do. For sure. Yeah. It's 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 awesome. I mean, you you know the. What's interesting is, you know, like the the perspective, right? I mean, Vortex is, uh, I guess, let's just say like when I started three years ago, I think we were sitting just shy of 400,000 followers on, or yeah, followers on Instagram. And uh, the big thing with us is we are going to respond to everything. We are everywhere. We're on forums where, you know, uh, we're, we're all over the place. So obviously there's the obvious ones, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, but then we also monitor different forums and whatnot. And as the, the, the coolest thing is as the business has grown, we haven't lost sight of that. We're still responding to stuff all over the place. So we might throw, you know, bread at someone or make spam sushi and get a bunch of people just reacting and, and laughing here and there. But the, the cool thing is once that, you know, starts that conversation, you know, maybe they need help finding a rifle scope for their deer rifle. And it's like, hey, well, I've got you here. You know, I didn't think you guys would respond, but, you know, and then it goes into a question. Next thing you know, you're helping someone out. And it's that's that's really neat to see that kind of, you know, that dynamic play out. So how many people are monitoring all of the social media platforms? Like, I mean, the multitude of forums that are out there. Um, is it is it just the social media group or is it kind of like everyone is, is is involved with that how does that work yeah so on our social media team um we have three full-time folks myself included there where our job is dedicated to social media um so that's monitoring forums that's uh planning out content that's you know just being where people are is is number one um, but then we also have, uh, you know, we've got a, a, a private Facebook group or uh, yeah, pr- private Facebook group that people can request access to. And that we have some of our consumer sales folks involved in, um, some of the product development, uh, folks are watching some of these forums because I mean, that's, that's the cool thing. You know, I think a lot of brands and, uh, and, and I mean, you guys at Tethered too, that's another awesome example of you guys see what people are looking for and then you do that. I mean, and, and, and the cool thing there is it sounds like it sounds so simple, but really I think that's kind of at its core is 
understand what people want and deliver that for them. And that's what's neat is, you know, we've got we've got folks out there looking and, and sourcing that stuff. And that, you know, is at the end of the day, what has some factor into what you're seeing at the shelves at, you know, your local dealer. One of the one of the big questions I wanted for you wanted to ask you was haters, right? Every social media platform has haters there, and every big uh, every every big account is, you're going to have haters. You're going to have yep. people saying, you know. So obviously, you're going to you're going to deal with that diplomatically and things. So maybe even be humorous and things like that. And that's what everyone typically does. But how does that make you feel? Being the one who's putting that content out there and someone's just bashing either you, the way you put it out, or the product or the company that, that you that you're and, and it's it's all unfounded. We we know that, but how does how do you deal with that personally? Man, it's uh I think you gotta have thick skin to you know be doing social media, um, specifically for a brand where you've got that many eyeballs on you. I mean, myself, I kind of, I'm good at brushing it off. Um, at the end of the day, if we didn't have the, that crowd that that uh, was passionate against us, we probably wouldn't have the the, the size of the, the the bigger pool, which is the amount of folks that are passionate for Vortex, and mm-hmm. and that's what's you know, like that's ultimately where we want to put our energy. I mean, for sure, there's stuff out there that you see, and it's like, ah. Uh, come on, you really had to go there. You had to bring this up. You had to do that. And I mean, it definitely gets, gets our attention from time to time, but resoundingly, I mean, we've got, and, and I'm not just saying this cause, uh, you know, cause I work at Vortex, but I mean, for example, we just had a, a couple this last week that sent in their engagement photos and the guy's got a Vortex glass pack on, you know, like, like that's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's incredible. You're not seeing that at, at, uh, you know, when I worked at DNR, I can guarantee you there's no folks out there with a Wisconsin DNR hat taking their engagement photos. So it's a <laughs> they're holding up the like, ticket that they got for being over the limit on trout. Exactly, and they're wondering why they didn't draw their wolf tag. But we don't need to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that that Vortex I think really like brought to the game that now maybe some people don't remember is like you guys, at least in my mind, were the first like customer service based mm-hmm. company out there with that VIP warranty. And you were like, we don't care what happens. You could literally send us a video of you throwing your binos in the campfire and we'll, we'll replace them. Mm-hmm. Taylor, and you have a story about that personally. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm lazy and uh, <laughs> I paid the price for it. But so, I mean, I was outside sighting in a new bow site. I had my rangefinder because I was being precise in my my yardages, and um, lo and behold, I had a conference call. I ran late. I ran down to my my basement, and of course, it's a little embarrassing. But I have a landscaping service that comes to my house and cuts my grass because I spend all my time in the woods instead of doing house <laughs> chores. And um, I'm like on the conference call, and I watch the guy go by on the riding mower, and I'm like, hmm. I think I might have, no, I'm sure I packed up all my stuff. And sure enough, I couldn't find my rangefinder. And uh, a couple days later, I'm outside and I see this like tiny rice grain chip piece of, of the like 
the board inside and I'm like, Oh no, (laughs) it it all clicked what happened. And I mean, I didn't even reach out to anybody that I knew at Vortex. I mean, obviously I know you, Eric and a bunch of the guys over there. Uh, I, I, I think I emailed in directly, um, or I might've called and I was like, Hey, um, how many pieces of a rangefinder do I have to find before I can get the warranty claim? Yep. <laughs> and whoever answered the phone was like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, uh, "I think my my rangefinder got hit by a mower." And they're like, "Dude, that's awesome! <laughs> like, just f- find enough pieces for us to know that it it was one unit or whatever." Um, it. I will say this: it's amazing how far pieces of a rangefinder will go when they're hit by a mower i was i still find pieces in my backyard like way off in the woods um, yeah i found like the eye cup and like a good chunk of the board but i put them all in a ziploc baggie and i mailed them in and then like two days later i had a brand new range finder at my house and uh i didn't even <clears throat> didn't go through any back channels anything that was a 100 percent real customer service experience and uh, it was really cool, and I think Eric, you and I chatted afterwards. And you're yeah. Like, oh, that's awesome! Like, send me pictures of it or whatever. Yeah. But it looked like it looked like an IED hit it. Oh, it was for sure. awful. Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, dude, man, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I distinctly remember like stumbling across a photo of that or something. Like maybe you posted a picture, and I'm like, oh my god, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, obviously it sucks, but it's cool that it it worked out the way it did, and. uh you know, that, like that's the kind of stuff that that we're there for. Like life is going to happen. You're going to put your binos on the back of the, of the tailgate and you're going to drive off. Um, and, and if it's ever on us, I mean, we're we're here for that, too. Like, you know, we're that's that's the beauty of it. it the, the warranty knows no bounds. I mean, we're just there to help folks at the end of the day. Well, that gives was- a lot of peace of mind. I mean, it really yeah. when you buy a product and you you're putting your hard-earned, hard-earned dollars towards a product that you want to get the best that you can possibly get, and you, 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 you know, if you really sacrifice to get something that that is absolutely what you want, you know that you can have that for life, no matter what, no matter if you break it or not, you're going to have that item for life, and I, I, that gives me peace of mind. Yeah. Well, it's cool. It, it's really cool to be able to have the um, the comfort to like use your gear like Billy uses gear and know that you can't break it to where you have to replace it yourself. Yeah. It's really cool. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the last thing anyone wants to do is be out there and using stuff like with kid gloves. I mean, go out there, you know, use it like it's intended, beat it up, put it through its paces. And if, if something does happen, like we're there for it, you know, and, and we never expect it to, but if, if something does go south, like that's why we're here. And that's why Vortex items are the only piece of gear that I'm comfortable loaning Billy. <laughs> Billy is like a caveman. I think he hunts with like a, a, a rock tied to a stick and uh, just goes and makes clicks noises in the woods because it's like. You don't want to know what I've lost that Taylor has loaned to me. I've yeah. lost things that I probably shouldn't have. I, I'm going to tell him I lost them. I really sold them. Yeah, um, probably. You know, it, it, look, we hunt. We hunt in people's backyards, okay? So most people who are in other people's backyards with binoculars and spotting scopes and things like that, maybe they're perverts. Well, I know I'm not. I can't speak for Taylor. I can't speak for Taylor, but we're on a public uh, – this fit. is a public forum here. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but you know, when you know, we we look at our our optics in backyards as absolutely critical mm-hmm. because even though we're only shooting twenty yards, thirty yards, and the deer are going to be within a hundred yards of us when we see them, it's not necessarily that we need to see them all the time at distance. It's when they're after we shoot a deer, we want to see our arrow at 15 or 20 yards away and see what kind of, of, uh, of sign that's on the arrow or even blood. We can even see blood trails, you know, at sure. 15 and 20 yards. And we look for that stuff in, in the tree stand. So for me, I know for Taylor too, our optics are absolutely critical for us, even in backyards. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I mean, I, I actually have a story on that. Like the, just this past year I shot a buck. Um, it was a deal where, I, uh, I actually spooked this deer the day before, um, blew him. He was on a doe. I went in the next morning, kind of pushed in like three ridges deeper and set up in the dark, never was specifically in this exact spot. So I kind of waited till gray light where I could kind of see where I needed to be hustled up the tree real quick. And, uh, as it started to get light, I could tell that I was literally like set up on a, a trail, you know, like literally like coming right down the pipe left to right. And um, it's breaking daylight and I knew there were going to be deer in the area. They were there the night before I was, the hope was that that hot doe was still there and still was going to have that buck. And long story short, at literally like at first light, I'm hearing just that classic, it was a a dead calm morning and I could hear him like maybe two ridges down, like coming my way. And it was just constant, you know, until finally I I'm like, man, I got to be seeing this thing at any second. And I'm sitting there, I got my bow in hand, all of a sudden he pops out behind this big oak and, uh, you know, he's coming right at the base of the tree. I had to make a super quick decision. I drew back and I shot him at like 14 yards, almost facing me. Um, and he wheeled, got out of there and it was like, it was over like that. And I knew I made a good shot, but I also knew that I didn't get a a complete pass through. I knew that arrow buried in him. So all of a sudden, you know, I obviously sat there a little bit longer, uh, breaks daylight to the point where I can see, make out a little bit more detail and I'm glassing down there. And and, I mean, this is 14 yards away, so not close, but also not, you know, or not far away, but not super close. And in my binos, all of a sudden I, I actually was able to make out the detail of hair on one side of the, the trail and then hair on the opposite side of the trail, which you know, suggested that that arrow actually, even though it stayed with the deer, it suggested that it like poked through, which was, you know, critical info at that point, because I was trying to figure out, you know, this is right when it was super hot in the Midwest and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's my next move? Do I let him sit and risk losing the meat if he is in fact dead or do I get out of there? And just by glassing that up, I'm like, well, if that arrow did get that much penetration, he's toast. So long story short, got down and sure enough, that's exactly what I saw. And that, that buck was piled up in 60 yards with literally like exactly what you would have thought after like analyzing that sign in the binos. That's so. exactly, exactly the reason that, I mean, I, I run 10 power, even you that close. So, so in that situation, like, let's say you were in hunting in the burbs, um, you know, you're far, the shot's going to be 30, 40 yards. You're in a tiny property. What would you look for in, like, a set of binos? 
Yeah, I mean, the big thing, I, I run 1042s mostly as well. Um, I do run a pair of Diamondback 842s quite a bit. I've had those for forever, even, you know, before coming to Vortex. And that's kind of like, you know, old reliable for me. Um, so, so for me, and I've got some stuff kind of like pulled up in front of me. You know, the big thing when I'm thinking about whitetail hunting is light gathering, especially when I'm in the, in the timber. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to glass out to, you know, four or 500 yards when I'm whitetail hunting. I'm primarily in thicker cover. So one thing that, that, you know, is worth paying attention to, or a few things that are worth paying attention to are exit pupil and then twilight factor and field of view. And we can kind of like get into what all that stuff means, but exit pupil, that's uh, the first thing, and and what that is is that's how much light is coming through the binos that's exiting through your uh, your your eyepieces and, and coming into your eye. So basically, what that formula looks like is you take your magnification and then you divide that by your objective lens diameter. So for example, an eight forty two. 42 divided by 8, you know, 5.25 millimeters. That's your exit pupil. Now you compare that to a 1042 and you're talking 4.2. So obviously the 5.25 millimeters, you're going to have more light transmission through those binoculars for those low light situations. Um, and and if, you, if you've ever like looked at something at, you know, a known distance, let's say 100 yards, um, really the difference between an eight and a 10 in that case is, is sort of negligible. And, and again, this is coming from a guy that runs 1042s almost exclusively. So that's, that's one thing to pay attention to. Uh, the other thing is field of view. So you're getting, you know, seven and a half degrees of, of, uh, field of view out of that 1042 versus six degrees at like a 1050 or 6.3 at a 1042. So a couple things there like to keep in mind. Um, and, and you know, the, the answer is really, there's no one size fits all, but when it comes to whitetails, like the first things that I'm thinking about is, is uh, low light performance. And that's just a little bit of helpful insight about what you can kind of, you know, garner, I guess, from, from understanding what those numbers on the binos actually mean. So that's really interesting to me because <clears throat> I've always run 10 by by 42s or 10 by 40, a, a 10 power binocular um, ever since I started hunting because mm -hmm. I wanted the ability to kind of like see tighter on the arrow after a shot, look for blood. Also, you know, Billy and I hunt in a lot of scenarios where it's antlerless only yep. season. And, uh, you know, an antler deer here is any bone breaking the hairline. And, you know, oh. we have to be very careful in you know a lot of our antlerless only season especially in the spring summer to not shoot a deer that's a, a button buck that's i mean you know you tell people that and they're like how could you not see mm -hmm. you know an inch or two inches of antler it's amazing how well two inches of antler even can hide behind an ear you know mm -hmm. and the ear is always moving it's like a big shield so um, I've always run 10 power binoculars, sometimes even 12 power binoculars in our antlerless only season. But I would agree with you 100% that light transmission is my, one of the most important things that I'm looking for in a binocular. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I might need to try some eight powers. I yeah. mean, it sounds like the eight powers. Yeah, are better. I, never, I, I never even considered that. I kind of thought it was all, I'll be honest. I, I thought it was all relevant. 
pretty close and it was negligible at that point. Um, but that makes a lot of sense. I'd like to check out a pair of eight powers too. I mean, yeah. I would imagine eight powers. I could, it's 14, 15 yards. I could probably still see blood and still see. An oh arrow. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you guys are our camera guys too, you know? So that's a analogy that I use a lot. I mean, I kind of, I came from that world, um, when I worked at, at Midwest whitetail and you know, I would always, when I first picked up a camera, I started, you know, realizing, okay, it's last light is when I zoom in, you know, my F stop, F stop goes up and, you know, man, it's, everything's getting dark and muddy. As you zoom out though, you know, you're able to gather a lot more light and your, you know, your, your exposure and everything is much brighter than it is when you're zoomed all the way in at like, let's say, let's say a 70 to 200 millimeter, uh, lens on a DSLR. When you're cranked in all the way at 200, you're allowing less light into that lens than you are if you were back at 70. And the same thing applies to binoculars or spotting scopes, rifle scopes, whatever. Uh, rifle scopes, that's actually a really, you know, interesting thing to think about too, is, you know, if you're at that last light, you know, twilight hour, um, and you need to make a shot, probably the best thing that you can do is back off on your magnification. So, you know, I, I have a three to 15 on my, uh, six, five Creedmoor. And just this last year, um, at the end of our, our, uh, uh, doe only season, our holiday hunt here in Wisconsin, I had a doe step out and she was about 200 and I think 247 or something like that. And, you know, so a shot that you would generally want to be a little bit zoomed in on, but because it was that last light, you know, I, I was able to identify that it was a doe, you know, and then I backed way out and shot that doe at three X. And, uh, you know, by doing that, I was able to have that much more light entering that scope and, and, uh, you know, make for a more manageable shot. God, we're learning all kinds of things right now. I mean, I, <laughs> I needed that. I've been hunting wrong. Um, and, and no, it's, it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, especially when you're talking about a camera lens and, and the iris being bigger or, um, you know, the, the exit people, yep. uh, measurement really kind of resonates with me, but I've just never thought about it like that. So I'm curious, why are you running 10 powers then? It sounds like eight powers are, I mean, I know there's yep. no one size fits all, right? But it, it sounds like an eight power might be a better Swiss army knife type tool. It really is. I mean, it's it's definitely relative to what you're doing. Um, for myself, I run the 10s because I spend, I, I usually like to go out to the Dakotas every year um, and chase either mule deer or whitetails out there. That's much more wide open country. Um, you know, this fall I'm headed out to Montana. And I do like that 10. If you're, if you're the guy that wears, a, you know, a couple different hats, maybe you're, you're in the Midwest or you're out East, but then you're also looking to do some stuff out West. That 1042 is a great Swiss army knife of doing everything. Um, but I mean, Ryan Muckenhern is a, a another guy, um, that would argue for our 842s and he heads up our, our consumer sales and technical support team. That guy swears by 842s. He'll bring those out to South Dakota to pick apart the Badlands. And as long as he's got those 842s on a tripod, he's he swears by picking up more deer in those than he does with uh, uh, 10s or 12s or anything. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said, I guess, about the field of view and, and what that affords you. Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm going to pick up a, a pair of 8 buys this this season and run them and We'll see how they go. I mean, it seems 
Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, Eric, I have a question now. This is more personal for me. Maybe I can ask you this offline, but hell, why not now, right? Um, I have an astigmatism. Yep. And how would that affect – because sometimes when – you know, I'm looking through the same exact glass as my brother or a hunting partner or a buddy, like when we hunt for elk out west, and they're like, oh, you know, that's that's a – that's a, you know, six by six elk. And I'm looking at it going, that's an elk. And I can see antlers, but I can't, you know, I, I think it has to do with that astigmatism. Do you have any tips or something besides LASIK, right, that, that right. I should consider? Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like the analogy you're talking about there is even through binoculars and, and spotting scopes. And that's, I, I also have an astigmatism. And, you know, my wife will pick up my, my Razor UHDs and she'll look through those and she'll be like, I don't understand why I can't see through these. These are, you know, like, like our favorite binoculars and why can't, why can't I make them work for myself? And it's because she's not setting that di- diopter for her, you know, individual eyes. I mean, eyes are just like, uh, you know, your fingerprint. My fingerprint's a little bit different than your guys's, and eyes are no different. So if you're not setting that that diopter and getting those binoculars set up for you, that's where you might kind of run into a little bit of that. Um, you know, and there's there's contact lenses that, that can correct for, for an astigmatism, and that's what I actually use, you know, because I, I run a red dot on my turkey gun, and, and that helps a, a lot that way. But I think the analogy you're talking there is more through, like, like observation optics and that's the big thing that i would say is is a lot of people just grab you know their buddy's binoculars and you know they're they're a custom thing you know what works for the next guy isn't going to work perfect for you yeah and maybe that fine tuning and, and it's probably just out of practice uh you know when i'm you know in the suburbs and you know whitetail hunting i really don't need to see more than 150 200 yards but then when i'm looking at a thousand yards you know with you know then i guess that's where that fine tuning probably comes in no doubt you you mentioned you mentioned a red dot yeah i've i've um i haven't i I have a red dot on you know one of my ars and i i see that starburst i can still shoot fairly accurately with it and I, I still like it, but it's that it's that starburst that I get with that yep. astigmatism that that kind of bothers me. And I just I haven't I haven't done enough research to figure out if if you know LASIK cor- corrective you know surgery would be appropriate or if it's even worth it. You know I I don't sure. need I don't need corrective lenses to like pass a driving test. Um, it's it's my it's my poor driving ability that actually makes me fail driving tests, not my vision. <laughs> I fun story on that actually. I do I do need corrective lenses to literally drive. So I went when I went to the the DMV here to get my license renewed. I was actually working at Vortex at the time and I had just gotten like new contact lenses and for whatever reason like they just weren't working. I didn't want to re- you know go to the DMV on a different day like this was a day that it worked. And I went there and you know how like you go in the the thing and you're looking in that whatever and they're saying okay like you know what side is it blinking on all this like I almost failed that and the late the thankfully it was a very rural DMV and the the lady said okay next in line like we're going to have to you know keep moving. I took a step back and I looked I'm like ma'am no one's here 
Like, can I just have one more chance, please? And you know, she gave me gave me another chance. Take a mulligan. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, how many fun. questions did you guess on? Oh, a fair amount. And and literally on my driver's license, it says that I need contact lenses or or corrective lenses or corrective lenses while driving. Otherwise, I, yeah. Um, I had a similar instance, but it was at the eye doctor. And when I got married to my wife, I finally got like the grand poopa healthcare. And so I went in for my first eye exam in like five, eight years. And, uh, the doctor's like in the thing looking at my eyes and she's kind of like popping around. Then she pops up and goes, did you drive here? I was like, (laughs) yeah. And she's like, Ooh. And then pops back down. And I was like, that's not good. She's like, yeah, you need glasses. I'd never worn glasses before. And, uh, I did after I left. (laughs) Oh man. It's 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 hilarious. It's also scary when you think about who you're sharing the road with. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't want to share the road with myself. I can't see. <laughs> hey, trust me, you're a lot safer than my wife is. By the way, that's all that matters. <laughs> Taylor, did, uh, did did that doctor smell your breath, or was she looking in your eyes about you? <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> oh man. It was ten o'clock on a Tuesday. I mean, what do you expect? (laughs) You can't be Hemingway if you're not, you know, drinking all day long. (laughs) Eric, what's it like working in the hunting industry as like a diehard hunter? Because you know, um, I think a lot of people really want to get into the hunting industry because they they kind of have an idea of what it would be like, but. it's definitely different than, than people think it is. So how do you enjoy it? And then how do you kind of balance your, your drive for pursuing game while still kind of being immersed in the outdoors or the, yeah. at least the industry? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's a really good point because I mean, myself included before I, I mean, I remember when I was in college, um, you know, my, my favorite show at the time that I watched like religiously was Midwest Whitetail. And that's where I ended up working right out of the gates in college. I went through the internship program, which led to a full-time job. And that's kind of how I started. And back then, I before, before starting at Midwest Whitetail, I thought, man, this is like these guys on this show have the life. Um, you know, they hunt all the time, which they do. I mean, like when, when I was at Midwest Whitetail, um, you know, I, I think, uh, Bill one year hunted over, over 55 times or something like that. And a single bow season in Iowa. Um, and, and that's days that's not, that's not hunt. So if you include like the morning and the afternoon hunt, that number goes up, you know? So anyways, um, but what folks don't see there, and this is specific to the guys doing media creation, is they don't see, you know, the capturing footage at 930 at night and getting that stuff backed up, charging batteries. Um, if you have to edit a semi-live video blog, you're probably doing that till around 130 in the morning. Then you got to post that online. And then you got to be back at the office to grab the camera by 430 to be out at the farm to film the hunter by 5 a.m. And now you multiply that by fifty-two. Uh, exactly, and, yeah. and and there there's your recipe for sleep deprivation. <laughs> um, so you know it, it it's one of those things where 
I'm incredibly lucky and, and Vortex does an incredible job with, uh, with work-life balance. And, and I also think that in the last couple of years, I've gotten a lot better at planning stuff. Um, since getting away from the content creation side and more, you know, on, uh, on, on, I guess what I'm doing now, like I'm not filming my hunts anymore. So hunting is no longer air quotes work. Um, as it was a couple of years ago, because when I worked at, when I was at Midwest Whitetail and I think all those guys would, would tell you they, there's a burnout factor for sure. Um, you know, you're, you're hunting every day and there are days where the last thing that you want to do is be in a tree stand and you have to do that. Just like the guy that, uh, works at the, the, you know, warehouse down the road has to be at the warehouse Monday through Friday. Um, your, your job is to, to hunt. No one, no one gets jealous of the guy that has to travel to, uh, you know, Chicago to go on a business trip. Um, when in, in reality, the guys that are, are going out to Montana to film a deer hunt, you know, they are, they're, they're go in Montana to work, to film that deer hunt. It's no different than the guy that's going to Chicago. Um, that's going to be in meetings eight hours a day. It's just the, the end product that that person is putting out is different. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, like the hunting industry is one of those things that, um, if you are truly passionate about it, it's going to help you, you know, you're going to be fueled by that. And you're also going to be surrounded by some of the best folks out there. Um, there's, you know, I mean, just the, the people on our team at, at Vortex are the, the best people that I've ever met. Um, so it, it helps that support a, a ton. Um, and, and even same thing at, uh, at Midwest Whitetail when I was there with all, all of those guys. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of pushed by that. And it's, it's the, at the end of the day, you're still going to bed at night thinking about hunting and, and, you know, that is the subject matter of your work. So that helps kind of propel you through it. Yeah, for sure. I, it is definitely hard, I think, to explain to people that aren't in the industry or maybe like loved ones and spouses, whatever, that it's like when I'm gone for a week in whatever state, like I'm working, mm -hmm. right? Like this is not, it, it's enjoyable. It's fun, but it's work. I'm, I'm sleeping three, four hours. We're shooting product shots. We're, you know, we're climbing trees. We're, we're trying to get, you know, 10 days worth of content into five um, in, in, in no way am I complaining or yep. like, you know, world's smallest violin playing, right? Because it's an honor and it's awesome to do, but it's work. Mm -hmm. It's not vacation. And, yep. um, and there's also like a, a level of stress that comes with that, that is hard to explain to people that haven't been under that gun. I mean, like when you have these different companies that you're representing and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get product there and it's a wild animal that you're chasing. You can't make something happen. All you can do is, you know, stack the deck in your favor as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the stress kind of, at least to me, it kind of gets to me by the last couple of days of the hunt where it's like, dude, I, like, I don't want this to be a scratch. Right, like we want to have a, a, a content to put out here, um, so it's definitely like a little wearing and, and trouble to balance. And it's the greatest job in the world. It's mm -hmm. the coolest thing ever to be able to do. Um, but you know, I think a lot of people that are it, it's like a grass is greener kind of mentality that they, they don't see all the potential negatives and downsides. And 
um, you know, like you said, the the lack of sleep alone is enough to to kill you during the season. And sure. I mean, you only get a handful of kill days, right? You only get mm-hmm. a handful of days where the weather's perfect. So um, it's definitely a little little difficult. Now, no, that's a, that's a great segue, Taylor, because we talked about a couple of the cons of kind of working in the hunting industry, but there are some pros too. Mm-hmm. Like, just like if you look at Eric's Instagram page. He killed a couple hammers this year, especially that it was was that one buck in North Dakota. Yeah, and then he killed a, a nice one in Wisconsin, but that one in North Dakota was just a beauty. Yep, yep, that was a ton of fun. Can you tell us about that story? Because just looking at the picture, I'm looking at it going, "Oh man, I wish I was in camp." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, and that that was a absolute blast. And 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 you know, going back to the pros of. of you know, being in the, the industry, you know, that's definitely, I mean, that's definitely something that anybody could have done for sure. Anyone could have gone out there and, and I mean, it, it hunted public land or knocked on doors, whatever. Um, but that, you know, that North Dakota hunt was a blast. My, my, uh, I hunted with my dad on that trip. And that's one thing that since, you know, getting out of, uh, of, you know, when, when I was at Midwest Whitetail, I just didn't have the time to do that. And now I've got a lot more time to hunt with him and, and do that kind of stuff. So we went out to North Dakota this past year. Um, you know, I've got just this little like, like teepee seek outside tent and we camped in that. I mean, it was a super cool experience that way. Um, but anyways, um, kind of a cool hunt as far as like early season the deer were definitely on patterns, um, and there were a lot of folks out there this year. Um, and, and anyone who's spent a lot of time in North Dakota knows that that landscape is really intuitive to glassing from a distance. And that was a perfect example of, you know, glass that buck up two days, three days in a row, actually, and finally got the access that we needed, um, which was actually through a, a, a private landowner to kind of sneak across the backside of, of his property to pop into this tiny little sliver of public. And uh, when we finally did get that access, it was the first first day in, I think I and I went in at like noon and, you know, early season, it's it's light out till what, you know, 730, something like that. Um, so got in there super early, uh, got set up and I actually shot that bucket, I think before 5 p.m. You know, he I, we had him absolutely kind of like dialed. We knew where he was betting. We watched him get up out of that bed, you know, two or three days in a row. And I knew that if I could get in there, it was going to be one of those situations where it's, it's going to happen. Um, so it was cool. Kind of like snuck in through this little dried up Creek bed and you know, there's not a lot of cover in the area that I was at. Um, but the, the, there are still, uh, obviously a ton of deer. When I popped up out of that Creek bank, it was, it was insane. Like there were does just walking around naturally that like didn't know I was there. And, and I just, I remember like kind of popping my head back down below the, the, um, line of sight and just thinking like, holy crap, if I can get in here, like it's gonna be a good set. And sure enough, got in and, and the rest was kind of history there that that deer came by and gave me a perfect shot and, and, uh, capitalized on it. And, you know, just being able to like share that experience with, with my dad in camp was like an absolute blast. That's really cool. What's your uh what what's your gear setup? Are you shooting what bow are you shooting? Arrows, broadheads. Yep. I know and you also started using a tethered saddle somewhat yep. recently also, right? I see, yeah, yeah, I see that. 
I'm like, oh, I got that one. Best yep. looking hat on the game. Yep, yep. <laughs> Besides all the Vortex apparel uh, right. we have to touch on, which is super awesome. But, yeah, walk us through your gear setup. Yeah, so in – I mean, I guess this goes back to, like, 2013. You know, when I started interning at, at Midwest Whitetail, like, we were doing all public land stuff back then um, and, and, you know, a ton of hanging hunts. And back then, I remember using uh, – you know, like we just flat out didn't have access to, to great stuff. You know, I was using a super heavy tree stand, a super heavy camera arm, heavy sticks, the whole nine yards. So that goes back to, you know, eight years ago. And, and in those last eight years, I've just been like tweaking that and revamping it. In 2017, I switched to a little bit lighter, um, you know, like like hang on style tree stand still had the same sticks, knew it wasn't perfect. And then in 18 is when I finally uh, picked up a saddle, 17 or 18, one of the two, I, I finally picked up the saddle. And, uh, and that was, you know, I, I, I think it's uh, almost one of those things where you don't realize the, the, the weight savings is, was huge on that. But for me, going from someone who is carrying in a, a platform, like, like a, a big hang on tree stand, the biggest thing was my footprint that I was saving. So right now I'm rocking the, uh, uh, obviously the saddle and then just picked up the, the one stick. So I'll be putting those through the paces, but I, in the past I'd been using the muddy, uh, pro sticks, those like rope cam sticks. And, um, I'm, I pack all of that into a mystery ranch cabinet backpack, um, which is really nice because, you know, going back to, the footprint, when you have everything sucked in right on your back, you don't have that big, you know, uh, platform poking out over your shoulder blade. So when it comes to sneaking through and all that stuff, that helps a ton. Um, I, I haven't weighed that just to know exactly what it's weighing in at. Um, but I know that I'm, I've been able to get up in a, a wider variety of trees and just kind of hunt a lot more aggressively with that. And then I guess kind of like transitioning over to the bow, uh, that's another thing that's, that's been a work in progress in the, in the last couple of years. Um, right now I'm shooting a Matthews, uh, vertex. Um, and I guess my setup on that, like that, that bow, I, I kind of built that in 2018. I wanted something that, um, you know, when I do go out West, I wanted a heavier setup, something that like when I'm shoot, you know, hunting, you know, South Dakota mule deer, for instance, super windy. I wanted something that was really going to fight the wind. So I built that with, uh, you know, weight in mind. And I've got a heavy back bar on the back, a long uh, front bar out in the front. Um, and I have a spot hog hog filer sight. So, I mean, to a lot of people that pick up my bow, they don't like it um, because it is super heavy. I mean, it's if, if, you, if you're used to, like, just shooting a bow with a, uh, you know, little six inch front bar and, uh, you know, you know, standard sight and you pick up this thing, you're like, holy cow, this is a boat anchor, but I absolutely love it. Um, because I, you know, I want something that when I do get to full draw, it just sits. And that's what that, that does. It's, you know, kind of been a lot of tweaking to get it there, experimenting with different weights and different offsets and whatnot. So it's, it's been a work in progress, but that thing is, I finally have it where, where it's at right now. And I'm not going to switch that setup for, for a while. What arrow combination did you go with, uh, thinking through for that, for that primarily South Dakota mule deer type hunting where wind is a major factor? Yep. Uh, did you go heavy or light? 
So I kind of split the difference. My arrows are weighing in right around 510, 510, 515 grains. Um, I'm shooting Victory Rip TKOs, and that, and then I have an Ethics insert up front, and that's a 150 grain insert behind a 100 grain broadhead. So it's right around I think like 17% front of center. Um, so it's still a really stout setup and it's and it packs a punch, but it's not as crazy as what you're seeing some guys going to um, You know, like like for anyone who's familiar with I think some of the ranch fairy content that he puts out You know, he's looking at some extreme heavyweight arrows and I'm I'm not there, but I've everything that I've built is kind of like with his theory and, and that you know the Ashby foundation everything that they put out a lot of that in mind, but scaled to something that I'm going to be able to shoot out to, you know, 60, 60 yards with, with confidence. And, uh, you know, knowing that, that, yeah, it's not going to be as fast as something that's, you know, maybe a hundred grains lighter, but for, my argument for anyone who is very anti heavy arrow is if you've ever taken a 600 grain arrow, and a 300 grain arrow so you know pretty stout setup compared to a very light setup and you you know walk back to 60 yards and those guys release their arrows at the exact same time on the target when they impact it's a boom boom like it's 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 not something that you know oh man i'm shooting 230 feet per second those deer are going to be able to duck the, the deer don't know what that number is you know, and and I, I think there's so many different variables that kind of come into play, and uh, I guess that's just my thoughts on it. But I, I definitely wanted something that I was going to be able to shoot a little bit further, but also something that was really going to pack a punch and and be pretty stout. Yeah, Eric, it's kind of funny. Oh, sorry, Taylor. Yeah, sorry, Billy. I was going to say it's funny that you mentioned that weight because both Billy and I uh, have kind of independently come up i mean billy you're shooting that 550 grain ish uh weight right because that, that's what yeah. i'm shooting and same with i'm right at 18 percent foc mm -hmm. and i think that's a perfect combination of packing a punch great arrow flight uh even if you don't have perfect form you're twisted up in the tree whatever that, that foc is still you know pulling the arrow and um you know gonna blow through anything but you're not sacrificing a huge kind of like lob of a arrow trajectory mm -hmm. there. So I think it's a really good balance in that like 550, 565. It, that's what you're shooting, right, Billy? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little heavier than you, but, you know, I, my my uh, power stroke, not as long because my, my draw length isn't as long. Um, but, yeah, so I'm a little bit heavier. Um, but then, uh, you know, Eric, you mentioned um, ethics archery. I mean, they've mm -hmm. got – I think people sleep on – their products and you know, a lot of folks they say you know i'm going to get these arrows and i'm just going to get the take the inserts that come with the arrows and put them in and hope they work for my setup um you've put a little extra thought into that i mean just saying that you are using ethics you know they make you know very specific um gear for your arrows your your insert you know, your, your inserts and footers and things like that, they give you that additional FOC. And, mm -hmm. and so you can really fine tune uh, the, the air that you want. How did you come about, uh, you know, or how, how were you steered towards ethics? You know, and for for those people who don't know ethics archery, can you 
tell a little bit about that? Yeah, so so Ethics is a, a company, an archery company, obviously, that makes custom aftermarket components for arrows. So um, for somebody that is running, you know, just your basic arrow and they want to kind of take that up a notch, the first thing that you can do is start looking at, okay, what can I do to this arrow to take this already existing thing and improve it? So the variables there are inserts, fletchings, knocks, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, the, the first place that I gravitated towards was an insert because that's where you can get more weight. You can position that weight. Um, and then you can experiment with different vein combinations and all that stuff on the back end. But anyways, so that's what, what got me steered towards ethics and, and paying attention to, you know, a lot of the stuff that the Ashby Foundation talks about. Uh, Dr. Ed Ashby, obviously, you know, he's been, he's, uh, you know, huge in that, that, um, community that, that really, you know, promotes lots of kinetic energy, lots of momentum. So when that arrow hits something, it's not, it's not just hitting it and stopping. It's, it's keeping on driving. Um, and you know, I think there's a ton of other awesome resources out there on YouTube. Ranch Ferry is, is one that comes to mind. Um, so that's kind of what got me that direction. And then, you know, I started just kind of exploring different stuff on, on his site and started with the uh, ethics components that you can actually snap off to get to different weights. So for example, like I think a full rod, if you don't trim it down is, I wanna say 250 grains, and you can get that as light as 125. Um, so I kinda played around with different things, and just for like my goals that I wanted to get with that setup, I kinda landed on that 150 grain insert plus the 100 grain broadhead, um, you know, Taylor, like you mentioned, that's something that's still, I mean, it's still a really streamlined flight. I think I'm shooting 273 feet per second, something like that. Um, and that's, I feel very comfortable with that, even shooting out to some of those longer distances. Um, but the big thing for me that, that en ended up landing me on this setup was, you know, my, my wife, uh, bow hunts too. And, you know, she shoots a short draw length, low poundage. And, I, and you know, I, I was thinking like, okay, what would I want her shooting? And why would I not shoot something similar? You know, I think a lot of guys kind of overlook that um, is what's, you know, it, sh should, should I not just be building something that's going to work for me to, to be foolproof and not something that, you know, if you do end up in a situation where you got to take a quartering two shot, you know, that you're going to have confidence to do that and not, not be, you know, freaking out. Yeah. That, and that's, that's where that exact reason that, that we shoot, you know, a, a very similar setup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're not planning for the perfect scenario. We're planning for the worst. Right. right. And, uh, I mean, we've talked about that in the past, but it's like, you know, if everything goes perfect, I could shoot them with anything. Yeah. Uh, what I need to make sure happens is if if I don't do my job, I have the most forgiveness possible. Or like your hunt that you talked about earlier, where you know the animal comes in and the only shot that you're presented is that like hard quartering two shot mm -hmm. that you know where you can put it and and you have full confidence in not only yourself but your setup that it's not gonna you know explode on impact sure. or you know that you're shooting some gnarly expandable head that you know, can't push through all that, uh, material there. So exactly. it's, um, it's really important. Yeah. That's, that's the, um, you know, the kicker there is like, there's definitely guys that 
couldn't tell you what their arrow setup weighs. You know, and they probably kill a lot of stuff and do great. And I'm not saying that you need to have this certain setup to do these things. Um, you definitely don't. I mean, I've before I really got onto this stuff, I was killing deer with arrows now that I would be like, oh man, I won't even shoot that, you know? Yeah. But if you do want to have something that is a good, you know, oh shit plan when stuff doesn't go great, I think that is where you want to look. You know, I, there's a million different ways to skin the cat. And you definitely don't need to make bow hunting harder than it needs to be because I'm all about keeping it super simple, something that literally anyone can do. But if you are someone that wants to keep taking it to these different levels and, and it's just like the guy that likes to golf, you know, the guy that wants to perfect his drive is going to spend a couple more hours at the driving range. You don't need to do that to enjoy golf. But if you want to take your bow hunting to the next level or kind of experiment with some different stuff, this is something that you can do. Spot on. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and it's all kind of like how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go? If you want to get down to the point where you're floating all your arrows in a bathtub to like spine index them, mm -hmm. you can do that. If, you know, I'm super anal, it's just how I am. And if I'm weighing stuff out, like I'm always weighing my components and trying to get all my arrows, uh, you know, the perfect weight, like you don't have to do that to be a successful archer. I mean, I, to your point, I've killed plenty of deer. I'm sure Billy has too with stuff that um, I probably, I would cringe at nowadays thinking about, you know, like Walmart the, arrows. Yeah, Walmart <laughs> arrows, <laughs> like hand-me-down stuff that like just shouldn't be shooting, you know, and like that's part of the progression, I think, as an archer. But, um, you know, overall, it's like how deep do you want right. to go? So I completely unrelated to the arrows. I wanted to touch on, and I know we've taken a lot of your time, so yeah, I don't want yeah. to take too much more of it, but um, you guys have recently rolled out an apparel line at Vortex, and I have been really impressed with not only like the quality of the gear, but the designs on some of the shirts, Just and, and it was not something I expected to see from Vortex at all. Mm -hmm. And have been really, really impressed with the Vortex line of gear. So, do you, you know, tell me about like not only what how that came about, but also, um, you know, what your favorite couple items are in that apparel line because I've been yeah. really, really impressed with that stuff. Man, it's uh, the apparel line has been something that you know when I started in 2018, you know, we were just kind of starting to to get to where we're, where it is now. Um, we're in our third season of launching apparel at the level that we are finally like, like this was our goal is to get to this. And I mean, we're not, the end really isn't in sight. We're going to keep pushing the envelope on all this, but basically what, um, what, you know, Vortex kind of identified is, okay, there's stuff out there that, you know, is, is the super high end stuff, but it's also not what you're going to wear on an everyday basis. You know, no one's going to wear, um, the stuff that, that you would wear when you're on a, a SWAT team mission to go grab groceries at the store, you know, you're, you just don't want to be that guy. Um, but the, so the Vortex wear lineup is something that, you know, incorporates a lot of the features that you would find in some of these more, um, technical and, and tactful garments. Um, uh, but in something that is just, you know, fit for, you know, heading out to the grocery store or checking trail cameras after work um, or, you know, going out to the range, whatever. That's kind of like the, the, the foundation that everything is built on. It's 
what can we do that if you have a piece that is in your closet, if it's clean, you're you're grabbing for it. Like that's what you're going for. That's the goal with all the, the items in the lineup. Um, you know, because people don't want to have 50 different pieces of gear for, you know, 50 different activities. If I want to wear a, a jacket to work and then wear that same jacket out to check trail cameras, that's kind of like the, the, the vein that this stuff is all built in. Um, so yeah, it's been cool, you know, kind of seeing it all come together. We actually just launched the spring summer lineup. So basically every year we're going to have a spring and summer and we're going to have a fall and winter lineup. Um, the spring summer stuff just launched the other day. A couple of the cool things that we've got in that are, you know, we have we have some windbreakers. That's, you know, what this is. This is one of the newer windbreakers. Um, we have some four-way stretch garments that are going to be, you know, really packable and stowable and like the top lid of a backpack. Um, and then we've even got some stuff treated with like UPF 50 and some antimicrobial stuff. So for guys that are doing, you know, maybe... Oh, I don't know, a, a multi-day backpacking trip, you know, and whether that's a hunting trip or not, that's kind of where this stuff is, is, uh, you know, designed to shine. Um, so that's kind of where it's, where it's made and, and, uh, like the, the whole why behind it. And I think like moving forward, you can, you know, folks can just expect to see more stuff that they wouldn't expect. If that makes any sense, you know, like, like Taylor, to, to your point, like you probably wouldn't have expected this kind of stuff coming from an optics company. Um, and we're trying to not get comfortable in what we've already put out and keep pushing ourselves and keep trying to design stuff that's going to be, you know, affordable, but also built to do a lot of different things. Eric, you said four-way stretch. That just speaks my language. Oh, man. You, I mean, you I and love, me both. <laughs> I love to make my belly just a little bit bigger. Four-way stretch, oh, Lord have mercy. I like the stretchy belts. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's it's been cool, man, seeing it all kind of come together. There's uh, you know a lot of folks that have put a ton of sweat equity into it, and... Um, I mean, it's, it's something that we're doing for like for vortex nation at the end of the day. Like, like there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, there's a lot of great stuff out there, you know, and, and we're not, we would never take anything away from that, but this is just another arrow in the quiver of, of, uh, apparel for folks, you know, if they want to look, look to a different option, you know, that's kind of where, where this stuff is at and why it's there. Hey, and the logo is cool too. Exactly. <laughs> it is a rat logo. That's you know, all that really matters. Yep. Yeah, right? Well, I mean, I, I do jiu-jitsu, and there's this jiu-jitsu coach. His name's John Danaher, and he's like a god in jiu-jitsu community, right? Um, and and in no-gi jiu-jitsu, they wear rash guards. It's like a, I mean, spandex type of shirts, right? Um, well, that's like his uniform. That's what he wears when he grocery shops, when he works out, when he, he might go to a wedding in one of these rash guards, you know, yeah. but you know, like taking it to the extreme, like that's just what he wears. And when he doesn't wear it, people kind of make fun of him. Like you should be wearing this rash guard. But you know, the opposite of that is what you're talking about with, with this gear is like, yeah, it's functional and you're yep. going to use it at the range. You're going to use it when you hunt, you're going to use it you know, these other times, but you can also use it casually if you're hanging around the house. Exactly. Things like that. Yeah. 
Yep. The, it, it's the bar test, man. If it's something that you would wear in the bar, you would wear in the woods, you would wear it to work, like you've got everything. And, and if you've got those three things, you're, you're pretty dynamic. What's, how's the, um, do, do you have any type of stain uh, resistant technology? Because, you know, when I eat, a lot of times I eat so much and it just kind of falls <laughs> down. Or when I drink, I kind of kind of dribble and it just spills right here. I got stains all over my shirt. Anything like Scotchgard or anything you have? Yeah. Yeah. So we have, uh, the, it's called the Weekend Rucker lineup. And it's we've got a hoodie, like a super lightweight base layer hoodie. We've got just a crew neck. And then we have that in a short sleeve. Um, and that is loaded with stain guard. Like we're actually going to get pretty, pretty funky with some red wine here pretty soon. And, uh, so be on the lookout for that. I mean, we, we started this talking about some, you know, ridiculous stuff on the Instagram story. And that is definitely in the very near future. So keep your eyes peeled. That's awesome. Yeah. The the thing that Billy wears to the bar and to the woods and all around the house is actually his ankle bracelet. So... (laughs) Uh, my wife actually may have an bracelet after her fortune today. Oh man! Because of your dog. Because of my dog. Like she, she's facing a misdemeanor charge right now because my dog got out and harassed. May or may not have allegedly killed a duck or two. They were people's pets, <laughs> and, and she she ended up registering the dog with the county. So now it's in her name. And I'm like, oh, I'll just go to the, I'll go to the court and say that it was my dog and it's my fault, and I'll take the blame. And the court says, uh-uh, COVID, buddy. Only the person who's accused and a lawyer are allowed. So, yeah, not the guy who's responsible that wants to confess <laughs> yeah. for it. Oh, yeah, that's, it a, that's that's the greatest <laughs> cop out that I have. It's like, well, you know, people have COVID now, so I don't have to go to court. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to confess, but I can't come. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, hey, wife. Do you, do you have any clothes uh, that I can wear in court on April seventh? Because that's coming up pretty quick. <laughs> let's let's talk, man. We've got yeah. some stuff for sure. They have some stain guard <laughs> underwear for you for yeah. when you're uh, in court there. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I hear you can keep your underwear when you actually go to your jail cell. So Alleg- allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> cannot be confirmed or denied. <laughs> I right, well, Eric, <laughs> Eric, thank you so much for coming on and being our uh, our first guest, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about or add? No, man. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and you know, I mean, this is this is a blast, guys. I think if uh, you know folks are looking for more, just head over to the Vortex platforms um, and and uh, you know, be on the lookout for all kinds of some some cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Yeah, if, if you guys that are listening don't drop everything to watch the content yeah. that Eric is putting yeah. out on on both Instagram and YouTube and just all the stuff that comes out of Vortex Nation, stop what you're doing and go catch up because it is the best stuff on the gram and on YouTube. I mean, it is next level. Um, I hope that one day we can have half as cool content as what is coming out on, on your guys' channel. So keep keep killing it, man. Thank you so much. Uh, and we got to get you out to the Burbs to come do some some dangling and uh, some death dealing out here in the backyard. Absolutely. Come, Absolutely. Come We've got too many deer. we got to yeah. talk about that because we've been, we've been uh, 
floating this out for a while, and we just got to do it one of these days, hundred well, percent. Our door, our door is open, and uh, so you you let us know when it works in your schedule, and come on out, and uh, we'll make it happen. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate so, it, fellas. Hey, thanks, thanks Eric.